Welcome to Denver Sports Tonight. Taking a look at the biggest stories in Denver sports. From your online home for the best opinions and information on the Broncos, Nuggets, Avalanche, Rockies, and more. DenverSports.com. And it is Denver Sports Tonight on this Tuesday night in the Mile High City. A playoff Tuesday night as we get you ready to roll for the Avalanche and Kraken. Game one down at Ball Arena. We've got some Nuggets updates from their shoot-around today as well as the series. We'll head to game two tomorrow night at, you guessed it, Ball Arena. Thursday night, Avalanche and Kraken. Game two, Ball Arena. Oh, man, James, it's hard to beat this time of year in the landscape of Denver sports. Oh, it's fantastic. I didn't know what to do with myself last night because there wasn't a game. Well, the Rockies were down 9 nothing in the third inning. Yeah, like I say, there wasn't a game. <laughs> we just had to, you know, kind of wait for tonight to arrive, and then it is literally every night, essentially, until either one of them gets eliminated, which I don't think is going to happen anytime soon, or whoever they're going to play in the next round also advances, and they can get round two rolling, round three rolling, and beyond. So, man, it is an exciting time. The weather's beautiful. we got playoff games every single night. Uh, listen, if you don't enjoy this I don't know. I don't know what you're a sports fan for. I, I, I really don't. Like this is what this, this is the fun time of year. You know, I enjoy the regular season games. You enjoy the storylines. You enjoy trying to get here. The journey is great, but the destination. This is Disneyland. This is Disney World. Uh, lean into it and enjoy it. Can't wait for tonight. Can't wait for tomorrow. It's going to be awesome. Well, and it's a thought I brought up on the drive of normally the playoffs are supposed to be stressful, and there's been so many tension filled moments at Ball Arena over the last several years, obviously dating back to Pepsi Center, early 2000s, same building. And, and James, these playoffs are going to get stressful. They're going to get incredibly stressful for the Nuggets. They're going to get very stressful for the Avalanche. I'm not sure either series is getting real stressful. I think tonight's a party, tomorrow night's a party, Thursday night's a party. When they gentlemen sweep or sweep both these, the Wolves and the Kraken, That'll be a nice ease our way into the playoffs. And then, you know what, round two and beyond can get stressful when you see the Phoenix Suns, maybe the L.A. Clippers, when you see the Minnesota Wild, maybe the Dallas Stars. I don't think the Timberwolves are cracking. They ain't it. I'm not, I'm not worried about being stressed right now. No, I, I'm with you. Now, I, I will say, and I think the Avs are going to roll tonight. I think experience is going to show, and I think the Avs are clearly used to being here. The Kraken aren't. I think the building's going to be jumping. I think everybody's going to be back. You're going to have a, a, a lot of fresh legs. I think the Avs rule tonight. Tomorrow night is the pivotal game. If the Nuggets beat the Timberwolves, Timberwolves tomorrow night, series is over. Mm-hmm. It's finished. Michael Malone, when he loses game two outside of the bubble, is 0-3 in the series. Interesting. So 1-1, one, one, all of a sudden that thing becomes interesting. Now you got to go to Minnesota and win one. As bad as the T-Wolves looked in the first game, and they looked terrible I do think the NBA, and you know, I heard Mike Evans this morning scoffing at this, but the NBA playoffs are about adjustments, right? And my question with Michael Malone has been, all right, well, how do you counter their counter? What's your answer? He His team came out and played great in game one, especially defensively. The Timberwolves couldn't hit a shot. They're going to do something different tomorrow night. Do the Nuggets have an answer? I think so. And if they do, this series is toast. It's over. We're talking, is it a sweep or a gentleman sweep? If they mess around tomorrow, if they read their headlines, and that's the other part of it, I want to see a maturity from this team. It's not just about Michael Malone. Mm-hmm. I want to see a maturity from Jokic and Murray and MPJ and AG and everybody of, yeah, we played great. 
it's one game. doesn't matter if we won by 29 or won by one. We got to go out on Wednesday night and, and put this team away and try and make this a short series. That's what championship caliber teams do. I expect them to do it tomorrow. But tonight, I, I know what I'm going to see out of the abs because I've seen it before. I'm not 100% sure we'll get it out of the Nuggets, but I do think we'll get that kind of game. I'm just not sure of it. Yeah, and it's an interesting point. I'll, I'll hit on your Nuggets thing first because what we witnessed on Sunday was just two teams that didn't look like they belonged on the same court. Correct. Because the Wolves on paper, Mason and I talked about this last night, the Wolves on paper are like a top four team in the West, right? You got Carl Anthony Towns. You got Rudy Gobert, who Tim Connolly, our old buddy, gave up five first-round picks for. You got Anthony Edwards, one of the most promising young stars in the NBA, and they just look lost. And, and they're punching each other in the huddle, and they're they're barely sneaking into the playoffs as an eight seed because they beat a, a Thunder team that overachieved this year in the one-and-done game, and they're in. If that had been the Pelicans, I'm not so sure Minnesota wins that game. And so it's almost like step on their throat because they are dysfunctional. And, yeah, talent is there for Minnesota, but the Nuggets just looked cohesive and glued together. And the Wolves, James... They look like they're counting down the days to Cancun. Literally, they could be there in five or six days. Well, and you're right. And it's, does this Nuggets team have a killer instinct? And they didn't seem to have it down the stretch, right? When you go to Houston and you lose, that doesn't strike me as a team that has a killer instinct. With a chance to clinch the number one seed, that didn't have, they didn't seem to have that personality trait. They can start to shut me up tomorrow, right? Because you're right. That is a wounded team. And how many times did we see it last year with the Avs? The, the Nashville series is the prime example. The Edmonton series was the same way. The visiting team came in here. It was down. They were down 0-2 by the time they got on a bird to go home, and they were waving the white flag. It was over, and the both series turned into a sweep because yep. they looked at that and said, we ain't beating these guys four out of five times. So that's what the Nuggets can do tomorrow is basically put down the Timberwolves, right? Like, they're toast. They're done. If you let them hang around, well, then you never know what's going to happen. Uh, so I, it, it will be interesting to see if they've got that personality trait, developed that personality trait, kind of what they are. You talk about their talent, though, and those three guys are are names. But, man, beyond that, and I know they got a couple of guys that are injured, but Mike Conley, uh, old, didn't notice him in no. game one. Did not notice him. He played great against the Lakers in the playing game, which just shows you the Lakers are LeBron, AD, and Nobody else, because Mike Connolly could shine against that team. Oh, Austin Reeves, I'm reading all his clippings. Yeah, my my eye roll was audible there. Yeah, um, it, you know, and then you got what Kyle Anderson, who's getting in fights with Christian Brown, who got who got punched by Rudy Gobert, who got swatted from behind on a breakaway layup by Jeff Green. Yeah, like that was a, an underrated moment in that game, and then. What's their bench, right? So how many of those Austin guys? Austin Rivers. <laughs> Same dude who Jokic had to drag to the finish line last year. Who on that roster, A, would you want on this roster, and B, would start for this team? Uh, I, I think Anthony Edwards, Michael Porter Jr. is a conversation. I think I would agree. I think Anthony Edwards is a guy, I don't care what team you are in the NBA, you would want him on your team. And, and if you called and offered Carl Anthony Towns for Aaron Gordon, I'd probably say yes. I don't know about that. Mm, okay. Because I think Aaron Gordon... Gobert, I want nothing to do with. I'll make that clear. I think Aaron Gordon brings effort every single time he's on the court. Carl Anthony Towns, he was he was lost the other night. His body language was terrible. And you know what he showed me the other night? Listen, you're not going to hit your shot every single game. Sometimes you can't throw it in the ocean. But if you're a great player, what else do you do to make your team win, to make your team better? Yeah. He had nothing. 
He just stands 26 feet from the hoop and throws up another awful-looking three. Like, he did nothing to help his team. Aaron Gordon is fine being the fourth guy. He's fine being the guy that, you know what, I'm going to try and get you know backdoor cuts for dunks. I'm going to try and get breakaways. I'm going to rebound. I'm going to play defense. You can put me on any guy you want on the other team. I'll play defense and try and lock him down. I don't think I make that trade. But I think you just hit the nail on the head there. The Nuggets, for as frustrating as the last month or six weeks were, I still think they actually like each other. At least the players like each other. The players. The Timberwolves, I don't think they like each other. I think that locker room is probably uncomfortable. I think it's awkward. I think it's a bunch of dudes who this offseason, there'll be no group text, no interaction. They'll all go their own ways. Half of them will be back. Half of them won't. And they'll try again next year. I think the Nuggets, there's some genuine. We heard about the team dinner the night before game one, how they all watched the play in together. Like, there's frustration. There's bumps in the road. Believe me, you mentioned the Houston game. The Spurs game comes to mind as well. It's like, what are we doing? But I get the vibe overall that the Nuggets like each other. I don't think the Wolves like each other at all. Nope, I think you're right. And, and that sounds silly in professional sports, right? Like, that sounds like something of like, ah, the high school team, they all get along, they all hang out. Like, I don't care if the Nuggets all hang out all the time, but when they're on the court and when they're in the locker room and they're traveling and doing those stuff, like, can they can they get around uh, along with each other and stand being around each other? And do they pull for each other? And do they make the extra pass because they want that guy to get the, the bucket as opposed to Iowa's got to get the bucket? Right. It's those little kind of things. And, yeah, that, that Timberwolves team – they looked like a team that was begging to get swept. Begging to. And they will get swept if they lose tomorrow night. Yeah, like maybe it was a bad idea that we beat Oklahoma City. Like I, I could be on a beach right now, and instead I'm in Denver losing by 29. Right, right. They, they looked like they were jealous of wherever SGA was and Giddy was and where all the, wherever all the thunder were hanging out and vacationing. Yes. Because they had to come to Denver and get their butt kicked on national TV. All right, there was a lot of news around the Nuggets today, and we will get back to the Nuggets later in the show. But I want to switch over to the Avs here for the next 10, 15 minutes or so, James, because it is feels like in a way, like symbolically, that you're back to everything you did since the parade, right? Like, you did all this work to get to this point, and the regular seasons could not have been more different. Last year, we were just waiting for the playoffs to get here, twiddling our thumbs. This year, James, game 82, you're tied 3-3 with 90 seconds to go in Nashville, and that dictates whether you play Seattle in the first round, who I'm all about, or you have to play an upstart Minnesota team who stole one in double OT in Dallas last night. That, those could not have been more different in terms of what game 82 meant last year and what it meant this year. The regular season literally mattered until the final second. And again, I think that's a culmination of since the day the parade ended till tonight, they had to work. They partied their butts off. No one's going to question that. But they also had to work that much harder just to get back in that same spot to try to pursue another title. They had to work that much harder <clears throat> the last two or three months of the season. True. I mean, they dug themselves they, a hole. They flipped a switch in January. They did. Because they were the 10 seed on what, January 17th? Outside so, looking in. You know, they've, they've played great since then. They've had to work hard since then. I'm not saying they didn't work hard, but you, you get what I'm getting at here. They also had the Eagles on the ice in December. I I understand. The car I understand. Um, You know, I, I think, though, there's also this difference. A year ago, this team had the weight of the world on their shoulders. Oh, yeah. Three straight losses in the second round of the playoffs. Do they break up the core if they can't get it done? Does Jared Bednar lose his job? Essentially, they were in the spot the Nuggets are. This year, it's the we're the defending champs. Mm-hmm. We know how to win in the playoffs. They've got a – that gives you a swagger, a confidence 
that last year, as soon as they lost the game uh, against St. Louis, it was like, uh-oh, here we go. Is it going to be the, a repeat of what we've seen in the past? I don't think the fan base and certainly the guys in that room, and they had to be wondering it last year. Had to be. If you'd been there for the three meltdowns in the second round, and all of a sudden it's 3-2 against uh, St. Louis, you'd be wondering it going back there. You'd be wondering and, if you could get it done. And all the big dogs, for the most part, or almost all of them were there. Gabe was there. Miko was there. Nathan was there. Yeah. Kale was there. Like They all knew. Jared Bednar was there. Those guys all had to be the head hitting the pillow after the Game 5 meltdown against the Blues going, here we go again. But you talk but about, they won Game 6, and it was all ancient history. You talk about Game 82 this year in Nashville. Like, yeah, okay. It went down to the final 90 seconds, and we have one of the best players in the world, and he got a goal that won us the division, and we found a way. Like they they have this you they have this uh, trait where they can find unique ways and different ways to win. Yep. That comes from last year. You get the the last second goal against the Blues in Game Six. You know when those kind of things start happening to you. Oh, we can beat you eight six, and then the next night we can beat you one nothing or whatever it may be. When those things happen, you just start to believe it's going to happen, right? It was it was part of the magic of John Elway when he was the Broncos quarterback. Right. Everybody on his sideline. As long as there was time on the clock, believed he was going to get it done. And everybody on the other sideline was sitting there going, uh-oh, here we go again. He's going to do it to us. To, to some extent, both become self-fulfilling prophecies, right? So that's the difference, I think, with this year's team of they know not only know how to get it done, they believe they can find ways to get it done. I, I just I get it. It's been a different route to, to get to this point. But I don't feel less confident this year than I did a year ago. No, because it's almost an identical spot. The only team, well, I guess there's two because you lose the tiebreaker, but the only two teams in the entire West you wouldn't have home ice against are, are Edmonton and Vegas. Well, guess what? Edmonton's already down one nothing, And Vegas, they've got a tough Jets team. You never know. There's a very good chance every single series could start at Ball Arena. Now the final, that would be a different conversation. But, again, we've, we've harped on how the East is going to be really tough and they're going to beat up on each other. And if this team gets to the final, you just outlined it, they always find a way. So why wouldn't they find a way against Boston, even if they're big dogs? That's just what these abs do because they broke through last year and because Nathan McKinnon basically crying on a Zoom in Vegas, I haven't won bleep, to standing up in front of 500,000 people in downtown Denver going, I guess I finally won something. There's not two more difference in swagger, sad McKinnon in Vegas and drunk McKinnon in downtown Denver. Well, right. And, you know, they they know the difference between the two feelings, right? The two polar opposites here of dropping curse words on a Zoom conference call and partying your you-know-what off, right? right? So I I don't think this team's going to have any problems with motivation. If they had a motivation issue, they would have fallen apart from January 17th on. They may not even be in the dance, and right. they won the division. Right. The, the 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 Stanley Cup hangover occurred from October to January 17th. And then they woke up on, on that day, and all of a sudden it was like, okay, clear head, here we go, here's what we got to go do. So I, I don't think any of those factors that some people want to put into it or, hey, they've played a lot of hockey in the last few years. Like, that's what hockey players do. They play a lot of hockey. They're in really good shape. They're young. Yeah. They'll be all right. And in the offseason, they you know they, they do some of that. You always say that about basketball, too. Like, oh, I play, played a lot of games. Yeah, and then on the off, in the offseason, they go play basketball. Like Michael Jordan, when he's filming Space Jam, has all the star players out there, and they play pickup games that probably were as good a basketball game as played in that calendar year. Yeah. Oh, he's playing a lot of basketball. Like, good grief. All right, so let's get into some specifics of this series. The Kraken are super 
anonymous. We all know that. I mean, obviously, Philip Grubauer, the goalie, he collapsed against Vegas. But after that, their leading score had like 70 points. The Avs had two guys over 100. So there's no there's no star power on the Kraken. And I heard the Mike Salk on the drive come on and say, well, they have like six 20-goal scores. Well, congratulations. Your six anonymous 20-goal scores aren't going to be able to keep up with Randon and McKinnon and Nachushkin and Lekkanen and McCarr and Taze. But I do think there is an element, the only, only element, is that the Kraken are playing with house money. Their crowd is going to be juiced up because they got their basketball team stolen from them, and this is only the second year that they have hockey up there. You want to make sure you go there up 2-0, James, because going there up 1-1, if you drop game three, I would still pick the Avs to win the series because of everything we've outlined. They always find a way. But no one wants to be in the position the first round of all of a sudden you wake up and, oh, we're down 2-1 with another road game in front of us. Yeah, I mean, it's very much the same situation the Nuggets find themselves in. Why give the opposition any hope? Why make them think they have a chance in this series? If the Avs win the first two, Seattle's going back and they're thinking, hey, let's let's get one. Let's Let's give the home fans a little something to celebrate, and it's a gentleman's sweep. That's what you're staring down. If it's 1-1, I don't think the Kraken are winning the series. But could it go to 6? Could it go to 7? Could there be some stressful moments? Could it get to a point where, hey, a little bit a little bit of bad puck luck, and all of a sudden you're like, how did that turn around in that way, and how are we home? Sure, you crazy things happen in the NHL playoffs. Yeah. But we saw it last year. It's the one of the questions we have with the Nuggets is when you get to the playoffs and you're playing a seven-game series, Star power matters. It does. Stars tend to win, right? If you look at you know who the Avs had to play as the, as the playoffs went on, I get it. They got they swept Edmonton, but Edmonton's got a ton of stars. They, uh, Tampa Bay gave them a good series. Tampa Bay's got a ton of stars, right? There's a reason they went to three straight Stanley Cup finals. Yeah, uh, the Avs have a ton of stars. So I just look at that and say, you got however many twenty goal scores, six, six. Uh, I think okay. it was the number. That's like having six guys who average eight points a game. Right. We got six Jeff Greens. <laughs> Great. You add it up, and it, it you know, it, you nearly get to 50, but it just, uh, for basketball. I, I just don't, I think that's trying to find a strength when there just isn't one there. Um, I mean, this team was awful last year in their first year in existence. Terrible in Seattle. One of the worst teams in the league. So guess what? They deserve a lot of credit for making the postseason in year yeah. two. They do. But you know what cup champions do to, to teams that are legitimately happy to be there, James? They bust out the brooms. That's what they do. Or gentlemen sweep. That still has the word sweep in it. That's what the Avs are going to do to the Kraken. We're getting a lot on the text line. You guys are underrating the Kraken, and uh, you guys should be more scared of the Kraken. I ain't scared of the Kraken, and tomorrow when the Avs win 6-2 to tonight, you shouldn't be scared of the Kraken either. You know what this reminds me of? Uh, you know, People want to say, oh, it's like when the Jaguars came in here and beat the Broncos in 96. One time. Right. If and they play seven, the Broncos win six. I agree. And here's the other part of that. That Broncos team hadn't won anything yet. Mm. They didn't know how to win. What did they do in 1995? They didn't make the playoffs. So the next year, yeah, they had a great regular season. They were 12-1 and one at one point. They had clinched home field like at the beginning of, uh, of December. Like, I understand it, but they also didn't win it. You know what they did when they were the defending Super Bowl champions and the Dolphins rolled in here three weeks after beating them on Monday Night Football down in Miami? They pasted them 38-3. to three. Mm. Have a good flight home, Jimmy. That's what that team did because they knew how to just bury teams like that in the playoffs. So that, that, to me, is the difference. I get it. Miami wasn't an expansion team, whatever. But, like, the 96 comparison, other than the fact that they're both second-year teams, I, I just think is 
I, I, I think it falls apart when, from the standpoint of the Broncos didn't know how to win at that point. That was their issue. The Avs do know what it takes to win in the postseason. I mean, excuse me if uh, Daniel Sprong in his 21 goals and Oliver Borkstrand in his 20 goals don't have me shaking in my boots here. Yeah, I mean, listen, anything can happen. I understand that. But that's also, like, that's life. Like, you're just going to live your house in a in, in a bubble? Live, live your life in a bubble in your house and just never go out? Like, right. could something crazy happen here? I suppose. But you're not going to convince me as the defending Stanley Cup champs that you need to be nervous about the Kraken. Sorry, I'm just not that panicked. I'm not. I wrote an article at denversports.com today that basically said this avalanche playoff run is going to depend on the health of Kale McCarr. And I want to get your thoughts on this because Kale McCarr, James, played two games in February. Two. He got concussed in both of them. The the Pittsburgh game and the St. Louis game. He played all of March, and then he played April 1st, and he has not played since. So he's missed all of February, more or less, all of April to this point, more or less. One out of the last three months, Kale McCarr's been on the ice. And I know they survived, and I know they did some nice things. But I think... For as great as McKinnon and Rantanen are, and I'm not saying they can afford to lose McKinnon or Rantanen. If they lose McKinnon or Rantanen, they're done. I get it. But I think for as good as those guys are, Kale is the key. He's won all the awards. The Hobie Baker, the Norris, the Calder, the Conn Smythe, the Cup. This guy's a trophy machine. And James, he had 29 points last year, more than Miko with 25, Nathan with 24, and Gabe with 22. It's not that Kale... Was that much, or it's not that the other guys weren't special. It's like Kale, and I know we've had the debate, but he was just as good, if not better. That's why he won the Con Smythe. Do you buy into the logic that Kale McCarr's health is maybe of the paramount importance for this playoff run? I think he's one of three, maybe four guys. <clears throat> I think Nathan McKinnon, who you mentioned, is in that conversation. I think Georgie's in that conversation. You may love Frankie. Well, so does Denver. And you may think they'd be fine. Frankie. And I think loudest loudest chance at the parade. I think in the short term they they could survive. They did last year. But if if Georgiev gets hurt tonight and he's out for the playoffs, come on. None of us are feeling good about their chances of winning the Stanley Cup. Are they gonna still beat Seattle? Probably not. Probably. But 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 you're talking fluky. If he gets hurt tonight, that's fluky. Kale's played one of the last three months. I got some real evidence here. Concussion, concussion, lower body injury. His body needs to cooperate the next two months for the Avalanche. I get it, but it, and it would be fluky if McKinnon got hurt, knock on wood. And then I would put Miko as the fourth guy. He's always the superstar we just overlooked. You know, I talked about it a couple of weeks ago of like, yeah. man, talk about a guy that just doesn't get the credit. And here we are again saying, you know, kind of basically implying – uh, they could survive without the guy who would he went up we end up with fifty five goals broke Joe Sakic's record so that would be a huge blow especially considering some of the offensive firepower this team lost in the offseason. he had twenty five points last year in the playoffs but he didn't score a lot of goals no he needs to be a goal scorer in this run for them to get to that point because he needs to make up for some of what they lost in Landeskog Kadri in terms of putting the puck in the net. But it's those four guys. Like I, I think anybody else, they can they can survive. But if you lose any of those four, goal, the starting goaltender's got to be. I, he, he won forty games this year. He's oh, on the list. What did Frankie go last year in the playoffs? Six and zero. I think you're dismissing and, 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 Frankie a little bit. And here. if John Elway would have got hurt heading into the playoffs in in '98, just because Bubby went four and zero, they would have been fine. With Frankie Bubby. Frankie played actual playoff games. Did Bubby play any playoff games? Well, he didn't get a chance to. It's the NFL. They don't play as many. But they would not have run the table and won the back-to-back Super Bowl if Bubby had to start in the playoffs every game. 
James, you and I were debating book. after game five if they should have put Darcy or Frankie in there in game six. No, you were debating it. I was saying, yeah, you go with your guy. Mm, okay, but it, was, it wasn't it was an outrageous suggestion. They went 6-0 and oh with Frankie. You're selling Frankie a little short here. Yeah, but some of those games were like, yeah, you won 6-5. to five. It's not like he was standing on his head. He did enough. <laughs> did enough. All right, coming up next, Nuggets had shoot-around today. Michael Malone didn't get asked the question on Sunday, but DMAC asked him today, why the heck were your starters back in the game when you were up 30? Ramosla.com, text line 303-713-1043 if you want to chime in. I was so excited to get to the 1043 part, James. I skipped the 713. That's okay. Understandable. 303 713 1043 if you want to get in on the There's action. There's a lot of nervous Nellies out there on this text line. Oh, you're just underestimating the Kraken. Oh, just, you never know. This is going to okay. be the Nashville Series 2.0, is exactly. what I would tell those people. Exactly. And what was game one last year of Nashville? Like 7 1? Like 4 nothing after the first period. You want to take? You want to get frisky tonight? Go find an Avs minus one and a half first period line. That 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 would be bold. That's coming with some mega juice. But I it would not surprise me at all. Two, three, four, nothing after one. I will be surprised if this game is zero zero at the first intermission. Oh I'll be, I, yeah, I'll be surprised if they're not hunting tacos, hockey tacos. <laughs> Seriously, seven goals? Would that would that surprise you tonight? No. No, that's what they did last year. And then you know what? Game two last year, that Nashville goalie stood on his head, and they found a way to get one past him in overtime, and they won like 2-1. Wait, are you predicting Taco Tuesday? Down at Ball Arena, hockey tacos. <laughs> seven, seven plus. You know what? My prediction on the drive was 6-2. I'll change it to 7-2. How about this? Uh, this is a fun little uh, prop. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the Rockies are at home tonight, right? Another, the uh, another pirate. Who scores more tonight, the Abs or the or the Rockies? Uh, that's actually a fun question on the surface, but the answer is not close. It'll be the Colorado Avalanche. It'll be something like seven to three Abs, and, and and the Rockies are playing at Coors Field, a baseball team. <laughs> well, that is a fun one though. Like you know the Super Bowl props where they always have who will score right. more points, Shaq or the Patriots. Uh, you could kind of do that with local sports tonight. James, they were down 9 nothing last night in the third inning with their quote-unquote best pitcher on the mound to the Pittsburgh Pirates. They are going to hit 100 losses this year. Absolutely. We are going to lean into it with our road to 100. All right. Uh, if you're going to be bad, be terrible. Uh, we'll, we'll do that countdown. So Stokely and Zach, what do you call their show? Zokely. The Zokely Show. Had this wager of would the Rockies get back to 500? When they were 2-4 and four after the opening series in San Diego. Yeah, whoever was on the side of they would. What were you thinking? And the the bet goes away. It's just it, it's it's called off once the Rockies get 10 games below 500. Oh, it'll be called off by next week. They could hit that by Friday. Yeah. Because they have two games against the Pirates, and then they go 4 in Philly. World Series contender. 3 in Cleveland. World Series contender. I, I mean, how many of those seven games are they going to win? One, two. I mean, even if you split with the Pirates, you win one out. It's, it's, yeah, it's two and six, it's two a and seven. All right, so the Nuggets have practice today. And DMAC, we always give DMAC credit because he's not afraid to shy away from the tough questions. The Nuggets were up 30 with a little more than seven minutes to go in the fourth quarter on Sunday night against the Wolves. And Michael Malone motioned for Nikola Jokic to get back in the game. People were confused. Why would you put the Joker back in up 30 with seven minutes to go? Could get some valuable rest. 
The wrist is bothering him. Can't suffer an injury. That derails the playoff run. Here's Malone on that decision. Yeah, I mean, uh, one thing for me is uh, no lead is ever safe. You know I mean, like, uh, they their starters were in. They were down 30. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it's, you know, they're, they're trying to get back in the game. And I think it's obviously Nicole was in foul trouble. Aaron was in foul trouble in the first half. Our starters didn't get a lot of minutes together. Mm-hmm. All the guys stepped up, which is great to see. But, um, yeah, just trying to get our guys some rhythm and, uh, and and playing the right way going into game two. All right, so he offers two explanations, James. He offered five. Okay, but the two biggest ones to me, and I want to hear your others, were no lead is safe when you're up 30 with seven minutes to go. Ridiculous. And that because Jokic and Gordon were in foul trouble, he wanted the starters to play together for a few more minutes. Okay, and that that one is a little bit more viable. But here's here's the thing. If, if I'm Michael Malone and I made the decision at 746, hey, this game is over, mm-hmm. but my guys haven't played together at all in a week. And the two weeks before that, we were kind of hit and miss because we were sitting out games and, you know, didn't even play two games down in Phoenix and Jokic was hurt. Like, we haven't had a lot of time uh, of everybody on the on the court together. So let's get a couple good minutes here. If that was truly his rationale as he was standing there on the sideline deciding who to put back put back in, when DMAC asked him the question, why did you put him back in with 30? He would have opened with that. That was like his fourth thing because he had to stall and say other nonsense until he finally got to something that made some sense. So no lead is ever safe. 30 points with 746 is safe. If it gets cut to 20 in a couple of minutes, you put everybody back in. Not that big a deal. Two was, well, they had their starters in. So just because they're making a foolish decision and risking their starters in a game that is lost, that means you have to do it? Like, that makes no sense to me. Right. You have that little faith in Bruce Brown and Christian Brown and Jeff Green right. at that point. Yeah. Right. And we want to, you know, we wanted to end the game in a good way. Uh, I think being up 30 kind of accomplished that. Like, most of his rationale there made no sense. You, the, They were, well, AG and Jokic were in foul trouble in the first half. Who cares? Who cares? Great. They didn't have to play much. And you still won. You, you didn't put any more... Uh, any more miles on the tires. Like, great, that was a good thing. So his only logical explanation was, hey, we haven't played a lot together in the last couple weeks. I wanted to get, you know, make sure we got some good minutes in each quarter. Viable answer. But if that was the truth, you would have opened with it. You didn't. You, you, you hemmed and hawed and uh, searched for an answer until you finally got to one out of five that made any sense. And Jokic now questionable for game two. He was seen icing the wrist on the bench when he finally lifted his arm up in the TNT interview. You could see the big rap on it when he was talking to EJ and Shaq and Chuck and Kenny. And I don't think he got hurt in those last seven minutes, James. I think it happened. Jake Shapiro kind of pinpointed it happened more in the first half. But those 70 seconds he was in there, he didn't want to be in there. He did because not. he committed two quick fouls to get himself back out of the game and get the wrist back on ice, that to me is Malone's biggest sin in all of this, is that Michael Malone, your superstar, was hurting. He wanted to be on the bench taking care of his wrist, and you made him take that thing off and get back in the game. And his way of telling you, I don't want to go back in the game, was he committed two fouls in three possessions so that he could sub himself out of the game with six on the night foul out. That's an indictment of, man, a superstar kind of showed you that this was a silly decision. Well, and, and the TNT crew asked him after the game, why did you go back in? 
and you know, Jokic always plays it off in a funny manner, but he he said, "I'm not the guy to ask." Right? Like he didn't say, "Hey, I always want to play. I I want to get my minutes. I want to I want to get back out there. I'm not the guy to ask." Means I have no idea why Michael Malone foolishly put me back in the game. But if Jokic went back in and got hurt, that's a ten out of ten on the just brain dead mistake kind of scale. Yeah, game one, round one, and you're the one seed playing the eight seed. And you're up 30. Best case scenario is Malone put him in de- up 30 with 746 to play while he was already hurt. That's the best case scenario. That ain't very good either. Like, it was it was a colossal blunder. It was a huge gamble. There's no explanation for it, no viable reason. I think there, there are two things I think were at play here. My mine my explanation for it was I think he's just a paint-by-numbers guy. And I think he had planned out how he was going to do his rotations, right? And you notice that up until that point, they never had a, a moment in the game where they didn't have at least two starters on the on the floor. Yeah. That's not how they did it in the regular season. A lot of time it'd be MPJ or typically Jamal Murray out there with four backups. There were always two starters in the game. He had it mapped out, got to that point in the game. Well, this is supposed to go back in. Never thinking, hey, we're up 30. That's my explanation for it. He's, he just had brain lock. Zach Bai has an interesting conspiracy theory. Oh, let's hear it. Of Michael Malone. Chris Finch used to be on his staff. Not There's a lot of bad blood there. Okay. Tim Connolly got the big offer to go to Minnesota. Michael Malone hasn't been given the big, huge contract for helping with the development of this team and getting them to where they were. And it's, I'm going to show those guys, I want to beat those guys by as many points as possible. Personal reasons or to please my boss reasons? Because I think those are two different things, right? Like, because we we know the relationship between Tim Connolly and Josh Kroenke. They said some of the right things, but it got kind of frosty at the end. I think it's personal. I I don't, I have a a, a lot of criticisms of the Kroenkes. Do I think Josh Kroenke told Michael Malone, hey, if you can beat this team by 50 tonight, beat him by 50? I don't. Do I think Calvin Booth is that kind of guy? Absolutely not. I don't. Um, so I think it, I think it was personal reasons. I, I think it was it, based on Malone wanted to run up the score for Malone reasons. Correct is your theory because it's all about Michael Malone. It, it it always is. Hey, what did you think about the Christian Brown incident with Kyle Anderson? Let me tell you how I'm such a tough guy. I like that. My dad used to he coached the the, the the bad boys Pistons. That's my kind of basketball. Really? Well, we were asking about Christian Brown, not about you, coach. Like that's what he does. It's all it's always about Michael Malone. The only thing I will say uh, to add on to this, and we'll put a ball on this, is it took a little bit of the shine off the win. Because when you're up 30 in the fourth quarter, it should be celebrate good times, come on. And instead, social media was a blaze of, why the heck is Jokic back in the game up 30 with six minutes left? It's just like, can we ever just get through anything with just feeling good about it? There had to be one more thing that was just like, this should be garbage time, not back-to-back MVP time. Yeah, it was silly. It was a... It was an indefensible decision. It was. And the way he hemmed and hawed today, seemingly shocked that anybody would ask him the question. So, again, kudos to DMACC. Good question. It's the one that needed to be asked. He, he didn't have a good answer for it. You know why? Because there's not a good answer for it. Right? If you ask me why I did something and I don't have a good explanation for it, I'm not going to give you a good answer. And that's exactly what we heard today. All right, we'll leave it there. Coming up next, we will get back to the Avs. As we know, folks are headed to Ball Arena. But also, it's mock draft season, and we finally got a pick for the Broncos from Mel Kuyper and Todd McShay.
Sports Station 104.3 The Band presents Denver Sports Tonight. Final segment of the show, Abs and Kraken. Man, I'd love to say game one's in an hour and 12 minutes, but I'm going to guess it's in about an hour and 33 minutes. We're probably looking at a 8.20-ish puck drop tonight at Ball Arena. Although the first game on ESPN, James, is a blowout right now, Tampa and Toronto, so at least we won't have to deal with the, you know, knock on wood, oh, it went to overtime, so the Avs start on ESPNU or ESPN News. Looking like you get to ESPN around 8, the Avs will be pretty close to, to getting going. That will be nice. I had to find NBA TV again for game one of the Nuggets because they started over there. At like 8.51. Ridiculous. The Clippers and the, and the Suns were going long. Uh, and I, you know, refused to turn Fubo on again. So, yeah, I think we'll be fine tonight. I, I, you know, it's at 8 o'clock. they got to do a little preamble, kind of get everybody jazzed up for the game. I think we'll be 8-10-ish. All right. Well, let's keep hoping also, for a blowout. Also, we, in have the first a, game. Uh, we have a coffee bet brewing with Rachel Vigil, host of Coffee Break. Okay, what's that? She thinks it's going to be a close game tonight. You and I are both saying it's going to be a blowout. Beat down. Hockey taco. So the one and a half is the way you got to decide if it's a blowout or not, right? Do you, do you cover the, the puck line? I told you they were going to cover that in the first period. I, well, I'm, I'm trying to give you a little wiggle room. Okay. So I have responded with, sure, minus one and a half, question mark. I think if they win by two goals or more, that's dominating. Oh, it absolutely is. Okay. All right. Good. Why? Is Rachel saying that's not? Oh, I, she's just listening on her way to the to Ball Arena, so I'm just letting her know the rationale here. Oh, uh, so Rachel's one of those texters telling us we're undervaluing the crack yeah, yeah, yeah. And also all the people telling me how Michael Malone literally said he loved what Christian Brown did. Yeah, because then he could go into how he's such a tough guy. I didn't like it. I love it because I'm a tough guy. Let me tell you all the ways. That's what he was doing because it's all about Michael Malone all the time. Mel Kuyper and Todd McShay <laughs> made their projections today, jointly re- releasing a mock draft in which they alternated selections all the way through the third round, James. So a little bit of a crapshoot that late. But because the Broncos picked back-to-back, we got one Kuyper pick and one McShay pick. Kuyper okay. at 67, McShay at 68. I will tell you the names, and if you have any reaction to the names, that's fine. But I'm more interested in position, obviously, yeah. at this, yeah. this point in the draft. Uh here was Mel Kuyper taking Tennessee edge rusher Byron Young. And then after that, Todd McShay took Tulane running back. We have heard about this kid, Tulane, Tajay Spears. Yep. So we go edge rusher, Byron Young, Tennessee. Listen, fringe national title tenders for most of last year. And Tajay Spears, uh, a third-round pick. That's kind of in the Alvin Kamara range. Sean Payton saws New Orleans connections. What do you think of the two picks, the two positions? Uh, I think they both make a lot of sense. So I think edge rusher for this team, you can just start going down the list, right? Like Randy Gregory looks great on paper. Doesn't play. he's on paper more than he's on the field. Right. So that's a concern. Baron Browning has shown flashes. but Has Baron Browning ever proven that he's a week-in, week-out starter, contributor, guy who's going to put up numbers? You know what Baron Browning is to me, James? He's what we've done with every above-average player on this roster the last five years. We've inflated them into this superstar. Yeah. And it's because, and I don't blame us, it's because we're desperate for hope, right? Because it's been so hopeless. Baron Browning, he's more than just a guy. That would be too harsh at this point. But he hasn't proven anything in the NFL that he's a surefire number one edge rusher in this league. No. You know what I think Baron Browning at this point can be? I don't think he can be Von Miller. No. That'd be silly. I think he can be Bradley Chubb. 
And that's going to sound like a knock. Bradley Chubb was an effective player. He had two good years, his rookie year and last year. But it, it, I, I think he can be that. But then you get beyond there. You got Nick Benito. Okay, we'll see. We're going to have to see a lot of development, a, a big jump from year one to year two. You've got Jonathan Cooper. Like, so could you – that's the group that's taking an edge rusher, uh, edge rusher with a early third-round pick, essentially a glorified second-round pick. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And then the running back one I, I, I like because it's more of a speed guy, right? You, you already got Thunder with P. Ryan and with Javante. You got to get a little lightning. I think that one makes sense. Plus, those are two guys at positions, or those are two positions where you can see him coming in and contributing as a rookie. Well, and here's the thing about this kid, Young, out of Tennessee, Byron Young. He's just not that big. Andrew Mason writes at denversports.com, one potential drawback on Young is his size, which is a similar critique as the one regarding 2022 second-round pick Nick Benito. I don't know if I want to go down the no. undersized edge rusher. Well, because what did Nick Benito have trouble Tunnel with again. this year? Separation. Well, that, if you're going to be undersized, you better be so quick off the line nobody yeah, can stick go with around you. Him. If you don't have that kind of speed and you're undersized, you know what they're going to do? They're going to run the football at, right at you. True. And he we, we kept Still hearing. on the edge. He can't set the edge. He can't set the edge. He can't set the edge, which is one of those, like, overrated buzz terms. Like, hey, how do we defend the Robert Ayers pick? Let's say he's really good at setting the edge because there's no way to measure it. There's no stat that says he is or isn't good at it. But you can tell if you're not good at it because they run the football right at you as soon as you come on the field. We did see that with Nick Benito, so that might concern me. The positions make sense. We'll have to dive a little deeper to see if the actual players make sense. Yeah, and just real quick, Mace, on February 2nd at the Senior Bowl, he was tweeting about Tajay Spears out of Tulane. So Mm -hmm. Mace has been all over this one. That could be a fun pick, and there's New Orleans Connections. The name I'd keep in mind. And I do think speed... At that position, a playmaker at any skill position, I think is something the Broncos still need. So that one would make a lot of sense because you know what a, a, that guy would do in year one? Contribute a lot, be on the field a lot, make a lot of plays. You got the abs and a laugher tonight? I got the abs and a laugher. I will be uh, sending Rachel my coffee order sometime in the third period. That'll be my version of playing all the small things. Ooh. Game over. Here's what I want from coffee shop. Oh, we're going to get playoff all the small things tonight. Correct. That's exciting. All right, cool. Well, go Avs, uh, and we'll obviously keep you posted at denversports.com. For KJ, for James, I'm Will, Denver Sports Station, 104.3 The Fan. Won't you take me to